There once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there, who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, All these farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Got a quick question as we get started today. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were afraid to go home? Anybody ever had a time like that? Like maybe it was when you were a child, you got in trouble at school and they called home in advance and told your mom or even worse, your dad. And you were like, 
the rest of the day you had to dread this encounter and you're like, I want to live in the janitor's closet for the rest of my life. I don't want to go home. Or maybe it was in college and you had a bad semester with grades and it's, and you were on the way to Thanksgiving week and you're like, oh, this is going to stink. I'd rather sit in my car and eat Taco Bell than face the music at home. You know, like, what are you doing? We're paying for this. Uh, or maybe you're just married and you did something as simple as like, you forgot to take out the trash and you missed it for an entire week. Or you, you know, you ran into something with the car. Or, uh, you know, you forgot flowers on a really important special day and you're like, I might as well just go the whole way and go on a guy's trip now. There's no point in going home. I can't face the music at home, you know? Uh, we, we've all in some way or at some time had that emotion of like, ooh, I'm kind of afraid. I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little sheepish to come home. And that's what today is about in a nutshell. Today is about simply the fact that sometimes some of us feel that way with our heavenly father. We feel that way with God. We're in the middle of a series called prodigals. And it's about this story called the prodigal son, or we also call it the lost son. It's that story that you just saw so vividly portrayed in that video. And it's found in chapter 15 of the gospel of the historian Luke. And um, it is one of the most famous short stories. Get this. I mean, think about this. In all of human history, it has shaped almost the entire world's understanding of God in one way or another, what people think God is like and who they think God likes. Uh, It was told by Jesus in response to a time when the religious leaders of his day, they asked him why he hung out with sinners so much, why he always hung out with the wrong people. And it was in response to this challenge or this question that Jesus told a series of three parallel parables or stories, all of them about lost things, Talked about a lost sheep, and then he told a story about a lost coin, and then he capped it off with a story about two lost sons, or two lost sons. And you, you should catch up on the series if, if you kind of missed it, because they are kind of meant to build on one another. But here's what we've discovered so far to try to catch you up really quick. Uh, we just started with this idea. Um, we discovered that God does have a type. He does have a kind of person that he gives special time and attention to, person to, to whom his heart goes out the most. And it's not found people. It's actually lost people. God loves lost people. And then last week, we just zoomed in on that concept, that phrase right there, and asked the question like, well, who are lost people? Like, who's Jesus talking about here? And uh, we saw that there were two lost sons, in fact, in this story, and therefore two corresponding ways to be lost. And we wrestled with the sort of unsettling implication from Jesus that perhaps uh, many of us are more lost than we may think. And uh, you should catch up on that one too, because the good news of it is that all of us, no matter where we are, we are invited to come home. Everybody say, come home. Yeah, we're invited to, as we looked at last week, repent, come to our senses, repent, and to come home. But here's the deal. Here's what I know, what I even heard from some of you. I, I, I bet that when you heard that last week, or if you just heard it for the first time right now, I bet that perhaps many of you had that same familiar emotion that you had when you were a kid and got in trouble you're like, come home. Well, I'm a little afraid to come home. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a great story, really inspiring moral, neat sermons and all. But if I'm being honest, I mean, I'm a little afraid or maybe I'm just a little hesitant. I'm a little like, ah, I don't know about coming home. And I think that's a lot of us in the room. I mean, some of you told me this in the intervening week. A lot of us in the room, we resonate with the younger son right now in life. Kid who left and went off, you know, from his Father, whether it's because we feel far from God altogether in life or, you know, simply because there's a part of our lives that we know we're keeping from him. 
You know, maybe like a decision or a relationship or thing in your career or a, or a habit. I think a lot of us resonate right now in life with that younger son, which is why I bet also a lot of us resonate with his speech prep. You remember that part of the story? That moment when he's like in the pig pen, he's desperate, he's broken, and he comes to his senses and he's like, what am I doing? I need to head home. Uh, oh, but I, I can't just come home. I mean, he gets all the nerves and the anxiety and the fear of like, I got to come home, but how? I, and he starts working on his speech. I got to have a speech. I got to have an apology. I got to have a plan. And, and Jesus includes that piece in the story. I love it. It's so real. It's so human. Uh, the, the younger son, he says, um, I will, ah, phew. Um, if you were here last week, uh, I, will, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went home to his father. What a human moment. And I think a lot of us are stuck at this stage in our relationship with God. We're sitting there wondering, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to make up for this? How am I going to make things right? Is it even possible? You remember, in fact, that progression that we talked about last week? We um, talked about the progression. The younger son went on. He was home, and then he went to the party, but he ended up in the pig pen. I meet so many people. I mean, a lot of people who are like stuck at this stage. They're actually stuck in the reverse of this in their relationship with God. I mean, so many people who are actually stuck here in their relationship with God, somewhere between the pig pen and home. Like in their heart, they want to come home. Like, yeah, that sounds great. I, I would like to come home. But in their head, they're trying to figure out how. Like, yeah, but how? How can I, how can I come home? And is it even possible? And maybe you had that emotion in response to last week or even in just this little recap this morning that like, man, the idea of coming home to God with my life or with the peace of my life that I'm keeping from that sounds so good and appealing, but fear and guilt and shame are keeping you still a long way off. That's some of us today. Now, others of us, though, are in a different boat. You know, last week we discovered there are actually two lost sons in the story. That was news to a lot of us. It was news to me when I first discovered that. Uh, and, and the truth is, a lot of us in the room, we identify a whole lot more with actually the older son, the, the kid who stayed at home, the kid who obeyed all the rules, the kid who worked really hard for the father, and yet somehow still disconnected with him. And he finds himself, in fact, at the end of the story, out on the porch, I imagine, out on the porch, alienated from his heavenly father and refusing to go into the party for this lost kid, this lost brother of his. And I also meet a lot of people who are stuck there in their relationship with God, who are stuck here, kind of stuck out on the porch in their faith. They have a great religion with God, their heavenly father, but they don't have a great relationship. Like their, their relationship with God is very transactional and their relationship with other people is often very judgmental. And they're kind of just stuck here wondering, how do I get off the porch? How do I like break free? Not from my unrighteousness, but from my self-righteousness. How do I break free from this burden of feeling like I've always got to earn God's love and his blessing and his involvement in my life? How do I break free from the pride over how good I've done and judgment for how not good other people have done? I mean, you know, everything God has is mine. We saw this last week. Everything God has is ours through Jesus. And yet it's, I seem to enjoy so little of it. And sometimes it kind of seems like I'm keeping others from enjoying it as well. How do I get off the porch in my faith so that I can enjoy God, enjoy my heavenly father and join him on his mission to seek and save that which is lost? This is what I want to talk about 
today, how I want to end the series. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this problem. I want to talk about how is it that something, something that so often feels so complicated and so daunting to us seems so simple to Jesus, so straightforward to Jesus, so matter of fact. He's like, just come home. And we're like, but I can't. I'm afraid. I don't know. How can I? What are you talking about? How, how does something so daunting complicated us? He's so simple to Jesus. How does it make so much sense to him? But maybe not always to us. And that's because there's another layer to this story that we haven't explored yet. One that I think makes it even more profound and deep. One that I want to explore today. There's a character in the story that Jesus puts there to answer this very question. How in the world can I really come home? How can I get past my fear, guilt, and my shame? And uh, this character's role, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's not the younger brother or the younger son. It's not the older son. This character that we're gonna dive in today is the father. Jesus puts the father in the story, no surprise, to represent God, our heavenly father. And he is the most important character in the whole story. And he put the father in the story to show us in story form what God does, how God responds when we've blown it in life, when we've messed up in life, when we've gotten lost in one way or another. And that's what I want to look at today. Um, I want to look at the father. This is the character that I want to like zoom in on today and watch what he does and how he responds because I do really believe that this character has the potential to change someone in this room's faith forever. I definitely believe that, that it has the potential to decisively eliminate fear and guilt and shame, the fear and guilt and shame that so many of us experience so regularly in our relationship with God. And I believe that it, it has the potential to get rid of the hesitancy that many of us feel to come home when we've messed up or gotten lost in some way in our lives. That's what I want to look out today. And what we're going to see crazy enough that the solution for both of these, the solution for both of these it's the same thing. It's the same person. And that's what we're going to look at. So let's dive back into this story one more time. And let's zoom in on the father. And let's watch what he does because every piece of this is on purpose. Every detail is carefully decided and chosen on, on purpose by Jesus. And let's just start with this. Stepping into the father's shoes. Like, can you imagine how heartbreaking and painful and horrifying this scenario is for him. His beloved son has wished him dead and has forced him to liquidate a a sizable percentage of the family estate. The younger son didn't take the sheep and take the land. No, he liquidated it into cash. And I mean, this was devastating relationally. This was devastating financially. And it was devastating to the legacy that the father had been building his whole life. To take your inheritance early like this and in this way, it was, I mean, you can imagine the anger and, the, and then just the, 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 the rage and the pain of the heavenly father. And this is just the beginning because the younger son, he takes this money, this liquidated inheritance, and he runs as far away as he can <coughs> to a modern day version of Vegas and he spends it all. Like he, an entire portion of life savings, he blows on what Jesus like summarizes and is as wild, sinful living, like in Vegas, in a faraway land. 
It's like, oh my goodness. And according to Jewish law, this makes him a sinner. I mean, this is a very dire category to be in. He's a lawbreaker and a sinner. This son has not only forsaken the family fortune, he has forsaken now the family nation and the family God. This was a huge deal. And then on top of that, when the money runs out, there's this little detail in the story. It says he finds himself working in a pig farm, like feeding the pigs. That doesn't mean a lot to us, but do you know how Jews then and now feel about pigs? Yeah, they are unclean animals. If you were just so much as touch a pig, you are ceremonially unclean. And you have to go through a purification process just to hang out with people. If you've ever not let your kids come inside because they had dirty feet, this is that times 20. It's a really big deal. But then finally, because he's in a Gentile country, we realize that he has lost his inheritance to Gentiles. <sighs> Gentiles are non-Jews. And believe it or not, this, uh, this is the worst part of the story. Our ears don't hear it, but this is the worst part of their story. Wishing the father dead, possibly forgivable. Liquidating the inheritance like he did earlier in that way, I mean, ugh, possibly forgivable. Becoming a lawbreaker and a sinner and hanging out with pigs, okay, possibly forgivable. Losing your inheritance to a Gentile, unforgivable. You do not do that. But he did. And so this is the list of grievances between the father and his son on the day he decides to come home. On the day he decides to come home. If his plan to come back is going to work, he's going to need to bring an epic level apology. He's going to need to go through you know, ritual purification and offer sacrifices at the temple to get right with God. And he's going to need to have a really compelling payback plan for the inheritance that he has lost. Otherwise, no deal. This is like the, the, the bare minimum requirement for him to even to consider coming home. And, and you see that in his speech, like the speech that I just read to you. He, he's saying like, hey, uh, dad, I'm going to forfeit my right as a son. This is how sorry I am, how recognizing of my sin I am. Make me your hired servant and I will begin to work off what I've taken from you. And everybody knows, in this culture, everybody knows that even with all of that, it's a long shot. I mean, the father would have been well within his right and in, within cultural norms to not even let this younger son ever step foot on his property again. That's the reaction most of the audience would have been expecting. That would have been normal. It would have been generous for him to let the son do the walk of shame into the house, beg and grovel for forgiveness, present a plan of repayment, and then considering his apology, his posture, and his plan, maybe, maybe, maybe have some form of mercy on him. That would have been generous. So then what the father actually does in the story, well, that was scandalous. It was absolutely scandalous. It says while the son, so he's on the way home, while the son was still a long way off, nothing's happened yet. He just sees him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with blank. This right here is like the fulcrum point of this whole story. Jesus has been building everything to this sentence, to this moment right here. Everybody knows that this isn't just a story. Everybody knows that this is a parable that you're supposed to find yourself in and that you're supposed to find God in. And everybody's standing around. They know that the Father is God, our Heavenly Father. So whatever goes in this blank is going to be a pretty significant statement by Jesus about God. And I just wonder, what would you put in that blank? When God sees you, or if he were to see you a long way off, what would he be filled with, you think? 
how would you fill in this blank for other people? You know who I'm talking about. When God sees those other people, what would he be filled with? Your answer is really, really important. And then the audience with Jesus, they all knew what the right answer was. They all knew that the right answer was that God would be filled with anger. God would be filled with vengeance. God would be filled with righteous indignation. But of course, Jesus does not do what is expected. What he actually puts in the blank is what makes this short story one of the most famous short stories in all of human history. What has made it a story that's influenced how people and shaped how people understand God almost over the entire world. Jesus says, uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion for him and he was filled with so much compassion. Again, a detail we don't even think about. He ran. And if you're in the Jewish audience in the original telling of the story, you go, uh, I'm sorry, what? He ran? Jesus, old men do not run in our culture. They only run if there's like an emergency because to run as an adult man, as a patriarch, that is undignified. That is dishonoring, number one. Number two, to, in order to run, you have to take your tunic. They didn't wear pants, y'all. They had tunics. You had to take your tunic and you had to like gird it up. You had to roll it up and expose your legs. And in our culture, this is shameful. It's hard in our day to like have an analogy, but it would be like if your dad's toupee flew off, you know, or if someone like ripped his shirt off, it would be, it would be huge humiliating to him. And these people, the audience are like, in your story, are you kidding me, Jesus? You're telling me to tell me this father is going to run for this prodigal son? I mean, no way. He's like, yeah, not only, not only that, but he, he ran to his son and then he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Jesus, no real father would do that. No real father would do that. And God would definitely not do that. But that's exactly the picture of God that Jesus paints. A father who sees his son on the horizon. And then he starts girding up his tunic. And to the horror of everyone around him, he starts running. Why? Because he sees what he's been looking for. Everyone else is looking for an apology. Everyone else is looking for a purification ritual. Everyone else is looking for a payback plan. Everyone else is looking for shame. Everyone else is looking for, I told you so. Everyone else is looking for, I got this. The father has just been looking for his son. He's just been looking for his boy this whole time. And when you see something that you've been looking for for a long time, you start running after it. And so he runs. And when he gets there, he hugs him. And he kisses him. The son, of course, is like, oh my gosh, what, what is even happening right now? I mean, totally caught off guard, totally shocked, totally surprised, but he quickly collects himself. He's like, I got to get to my apology really quick before I ruin this whole thing. So he just starts saying, dad, 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 you know, probably stuttering and stammering. And he says, son, father, I have sinned against you. This is the same lines he's been rehearsing. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And if you'll just let me in, the father won't even let him finish the prepared speech. He interrupts him and he says to his servants, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they begin to celebrate. 
Do you want to know why coming home is more simple than you think? Why it was so simple to Jesus? Because he knew the heart of your heavenly father. Jesus knew what your heavenly father was looking for. He knew that while everyone else, including you, might be looking for an apology or might be looking for a purification ritual or might be looking for payback, that your heavenly father, he was just looking for you. It turns out that your father is just looking for you. And so I just need you to know that. I just want you to know that. If ever in life, if ever in life, you find yourself a long way from home, you've uh, blown it, you've messed up, you've gotten lost in one way or another in life or in an area of your life, and you find yourself sheepishly walking back home with your head down, trying to figure out what you're going to say. I just want you to know that when you look up, you're going to see that your heavenly father is already running your direction. And when he gets there or you get there and you go into your apology and then here's, I'm sorry, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you back. He's going to be really rude and he's going to interrupt you with a kiss and a ring on your finger. Because it turns out you're what he's been looking for. So you can just put your apology aside. That's what God does when we mess up. That's what God does when we blow it, when we become lost in one way or another. He runs. And he runs because he sees what he's looking for. And that's pretty cool. And I think you need to know that. I think I need to know that. But it turns out there's actually something else going on. There's an additional reason that most likely has the father running on this day, this fictitious day that Jesus created for us to learn from. Uh, a, a something that uh, adds an even deeper layer to the story that I think maybe even makes it more uh, powerful and more relevant for us today. Something that was true in the culture of Jesus's audience that is not true in our culture, doesn't even exist. Something that they most likely would have assumed was going on in the background of this story that we as modern Westerners would miss entirely, would not even know, know about unless somebody told us. Something that most likely Jesus intended to be in view when he was describing this ceremony, or I'm sorry, this, this story. And, uh, and that thing is this word right here, kitsatsa. Kitsatsa. I first learned about this uh, phrase from Kenneth Bailey in his book, Cross and the Prodigal. also wrote an article in Christianity Today in 1998, uh, just to give credit to, I didn't come up with this, um, seen it in scholarly articles since then, in some sermons since then. Um, but, but this word, kitsatsa, it, it actually means, it means cutting off. That's what this word means. It means cutting off. And uh, if you look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary or a dictionary that uh, has anything related to ancient Judaism, you'll see this definition, that it was a Talmudic term from the Jerusalem Talmud. Uh, for a ceremony marking the severance of all connections with a family member who either married beneath his rank or, and this is where it's important, sold or lost part of his ancestral state, particularly to a Gentile. And that's what's going on. Ketsatsa is the term. This is what this was. So if a Jewish boy or a Jewish son or to lose his inheritance, and particularly lose it to a Gentile, it was an unforgivable sin. This is land and inheritance that God had given. Don't you dare lose it to an outsider. Unforgivable. And, and if that happened, and this boy were to ever come back home, the community would hold him to account. And in the first century, they would do that with a ketzatza ceremony. 
Uh, when they heard that he was coming, when they saw that he was coming, when they found out that he had come back, he would be met at the gate with a gathering. His neighbors, his friends, their parents, his teachers, his coaches, they would bring pots of burnt corn and, and burnt nuts, I guess because they're stinky and smell bad. I don't know. Didn't find that information out. But they would bring pots of burnt corn and they would meet him as a community at the gate and they would throw the pot in front of him on the ground and say, you are cut off from your people. You are cut off from your people. Following him. You are cut off from your people. You are cut off from your people. And he would do this walk of shame into the town and they would you know, forcibly be brought before the elders of the town to judge whether he could come back in any way or whether he was going to be permanently cut off, exiled. At a minimum, it was humiliating. At a maximum, it was a permanent loss of friends, of family, of home. And this ceremony was as widely known and commonly, people were commonly aware of it, just like we would be of in-school suspension. Like, oh yeah, I'm aware of that. That happens to people. And so it's hard to imagine that as the son is coming home in the story, that Jesus' audience isn't already thinking ahead to what's going to go down, not just at home, but at the city gate. As this son is coming over the horizon and he's headed home, he is headed towards Kitsatsa. He's going to be hated. He's going to be reviled. He's going to be judged. He's going to be humiliated. And given what he's done, most likely he's going to be exiled. I mean, clearly from the story, word is spread. The father knows about it. His neighbors are preparing their pots and they're probably already headed his way. And the only way he's going to make it home, the only way he's going to make it home is if somebody beats them to it. And so the father hikes up his tunic and he starts running. Sorry. He starts running. As if to say, hey, if somebody's going to be shamed, I'll be shamed. If somebody's going to be ridiculed today, I'll be ridiculed. If somebody's going to be hurt, I'll be hurt. If somebody's going to pay for his sins, I'll pay for it. And so he runs. And he wins the race to his boy. And he hugs him. And he kisses him. But this is the important part. He puts the ring of the family on his finger. He puts his own robe. He said the nicest robe, that would have been his robe. He puts his robe on his son's back. And he begins to lead him home. A son who is now once again under the household of his father. A son who is now once again under the protection of his father. Under the provision of his father. Under the authority of his father. This son's debts now belong to the father. This son's sins now belong to the father. And when this crowd arrives, instead of finding a sinner, to their great surprise, they find a son? They find a son. And they find a father going, hey, you see that ring? Hey, you see this robe? This is a son of my house. So if you're going to come at him, you're going to have to come at me now. If you're going to need to settle accounts, you can, you can settle accounts with me. If you're going to need to exact judgment today, you're going to have to exact judgment from me because this is a son in my house. He's under my authority. He's under my protection. And so instead of a katsatsa ceremony, the father throws a coming home party. Go kill the fattened calf. Call everybody. Invite the whole town. The son of mine was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. But now he's found. That's why the father runs. And I'm sure it wasn't glamorous, you know? Probably had that bad knee. He's like, you know? Probably got there totally out of breath. He's like, 
three, you know, just we, I'm sure all that happened. That's so real. But that's why he runs because he saw what he was looking for. And to him, it was worth everything. It was worth being shamed. It was worth being hurt. It was worth paying for it himself. It was worth it. You know, we call this story um, the parable of the prodigal son. That's, you know, you probably heard that a bunch of times. Uh, But the word prodigal, do you know this? It actually doesn't mean lost. We say those interchangeably, prodigal son, lost son. The word prodigal does not mean lost. The word prodigal actually means wasteful. It means wastefully and recklessly extravagant. It means to be a reckless, wild spender. The younger son was prodigal in the faraway land. He just wasted literally his whole inheritance. But as Tim Keller, a pastor of North, he's passed now, but he, what he so powerfully said is we shouldn't call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. We should call it the parable of the prodigal father. Because though the younger son was prodigal in his sin, the father was even more prodigal in his grace. He was even more prodigal and he was recklessly extravagant in his grace and his mercy and in his love to the son. He saw what he was looking for and he was willing to spend anything to get it. He's a prodigal. So, you want to know why it should be so simple to come home? Why it was so simple to Jesus? Why you right here, right now, should just throw aside whatever fear or guilt or shame that you have in your relationship with God that you should throw aside, whatever shred of hesitancy you might have to come home to your heavenly father. You want to know why? Because even though you might be the prodigal son or you might be in a prodigal season, you have a prodigal God. You have a prodigal heavenly father. This isn't just a story of a fictitious younger son. No, it's a story about you. It's a story about me. Jesus told the story to show us, to show us that if, if ever in life we find ourselves coming home for some reason or another, from some place or another, he wanted to show us exactly how God's going to respond when we do. He told the story to show us what's God going to do when you start coming home. He's going to do that. And ironically, here's the crazy part. Ironically, um, Jesus is telling this story knowing, like as he's telling, making up the story to these, this crowd, he's telling it knowing that one day soon, and I mean like soon, one day soon, he's gonna be on the way running to Jerusalem to do for us what this father did for his son. I mean, Jesus was in real life, God running to us. He was God running to us in, in, in real life. Jesus didn't just tell us what the heart of God is like. He showed us what the heart of God is like. Jesus showed us this story in real life. That's the irony of the whole thing. We call it the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. The good news that he saw us a long way off. Not just some made up story. No, he saw us when we were a long way off and we've all been a long way off we either have been or we, we, we are right now every single one of us every single one of us has made the same trade in some way in our lives we've made the same trade as that younger son we've traded life with the father for life without the father we've traded life under his provision protection his leadership and his authority for life under our own every one of us has been a long way off in sin 
Except for us, the consequences aren't just geographical and they weren't just familial. They were far more comprehensive because, I mean, think about it. When you run away from the source of all life, what are you running towards? Yeah, death. When you run away from the source of all light, when you rip your life away from the source of all light, what are you running towards? Darkness. When we ran a long way off, that's what we were running towards. We were running towards death and darkness. So whenever you see death and darkness in your world or even in your own life, it's because you're in the story. We all are. As Isaiah the prophet says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned and ran to our own way. Because you, like every single person in here and like every single one of our ancestors, we have taken our inheritance. We have taken our inheritance, our life and our breath and our soul and our heart and we have run away from home. But Jesus saw us when we were a long way off. And when he saw us, he had compassion on us. For God so loved the world. The most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world. He didn't have anger. He didn't have rage. He didn't have righteous indignation. He didn't have vengeance in his heart. He was filled with, he was filled with compassion. So much so that he ran towards us. For God so loved the world that what? That what? He gave his only son. Jesus was God running towards us. While we were oblivious in the party of life, or we were suffering in the pig pen of life, or we were, you know, on our way, sheepishly coming home, uh, walking, trying to figure out how we're going to make it up to God. He wasn't waiting on us. He was running towards us, becoming a baby in a manger that we're going to celebrate in a month. A baby who came with one simple purpose, a baby who came to take our katsatsa. God made him who had no sin, the apostle Paul writes, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We had Ketsatsa coming. We had the consequences of death and darkness coming. But God, your heavenly father, won the race to you and he offered himself instead. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. And Jesus did what you see the father doing here. He traded places with us. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He took our guilt and he gave us his glory. He took our death and darkness and he gave us his life and his light once again. He took our katsatsa and gave us his homecoming. Someone did pay. Someone was shamed. Somebody was punished. Somebody was cut off. He was. For you and for me. God, through Jesus, he ran towards us. He took our katsatsa. And in its place, he put the robe of his righteousness on our back and he put the ring of his family a kingdom of heaven on our finger. And he brought us home. He brought us home. And that's what he's been doing ever since. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, trusts him enough to repent, turn around, they will not be lost. They will not be lost. They will not be lost. They will not perish, but they will have eternal life. Life at home with your heavenly father forever. And ever since then, God has been in the business of restoring sons and daughters through his church. That's what he's up to. What's he's up to? That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. He saw you. He had compassion on you. He ran towards you. He took your cutting off, your kitsatsa. And right here, right now, 
He is inviting all of us to come home, to come home with him today. Come home. So, let's wrap it up. If you realize that you're the younger son in this story, you're going, man, I resonate with that kid. That's who I resonate with today, the younger daughter, the younger son in the story. If that's you today, if you feel caught here, next slide, please. If you feel caught here and you're wondering, man, what in the world can I say? What could I possibly do? How could I possibly make up for it? It feels like a long write Can I please ask you? Can I beg you? Would you just stop, please, and come home? Please stop and just come home. Please stop with that and just come home. He has already ran out to meet you and he has already paid for everything. Do you, do you have, like, for example, do you have somebody in your life, like a parent or a grandparent who comes and visits and when they leave, they like leave a little bit of money, you know, like there's $20 on the counter or they Venmo you, you know, and it's just got this little note, like for that sweater we were looking at and just enjoy it, you know, for that tire, I know you're gonna have to get it, you know, son, just, I know the tire stinks to replace the tire. Here's just a little to help you with that. Or hey, take your bride out on a date night, you know, whatever. And look, what I'm trying to say to you is if you like, this might be cheesy, but it's true. If you could just like, man, if you could check your Venmo for one second, like spiritually, like in the kingdom of heaven, you would see a gigantic deposit there with a note from your heavenly father that says for your ticket home. I've already handled the details. I've already paid for everything. I've already settled your accounts. I've already handled all of your accusers. I just want you to come home. Just come home. The gospel is your ticket home. And maybe today, right here, right now, you need to do that. You need to like bring your life back under the provision and the protection and the leadership and the authority of your heavenly father. We're gonna close with some songs here in a second, a little, you know, a few more than usual. And while we're in the songs, I would love to invite you. If something is in you going, you should do that. That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's God saying, hey, come home. Don't ignore it. Act on it. And I would love to just give you a prayer to pray in your heart right where you are when we're singing or whenever, you know, you feel like it, it makes sense. But I would just love, that's you. I just want you to tell God today, Father, I want to repent and come home. Father, I want to repent and come home. I want to come home. Just tell him that. Father, I want to come home. The preacher's saying that Jesus handled all the details. So, okay, I'm just going to come home. I'm going to put my life and my future and my eternity in your hands. Do that. Give your life to Jesus for the first time right here, right now, today. And you'll have a moment to do that. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're sitting there going, man, I'm like, I'm totally the older brother. That's who I am. You're, you're, you're seeing yourself in that character. You're resonating with the, the older son or older daughter uh, and, and you feel like stuck here. You feel stuck uh, at the porch. The gospel is your ticket home as well. This is what I really wanted to tell you guys today. You who resonate with the older brother, the gospel is your ticket home too. The gospel is how you get your, your heart and your feet off of the porch and back inside with your heavenly father. Why? Because the gospel eliminates self-righteousness in your heart. I am not loved because of what I've done. I'm loved because of what he's done. 
The gospel will automatically eliminate self-righteousness in your heart. And in its place, it will plant grace. It'll plant grace. It'll plant grace. Grace for you and grace for other people. Do you feel like you need more grace for yourself in your relationship with God? You need the gospel. Do you feel like you need more grace for other people in your life and, and, and judging them? You, you need the gospel. The gospel always pushes us off the porch and back inside into intimacy with our heavenly father and into the party, his mission to seek and save that which was lost. My brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, do not spend your whole lives trying to earn God's love, trying to earn what God has already given you in Jesus. Everything he has is yours. Everything he has is yours. So stop trying to earn it and start enjoying it and join him on his mission to bring other kids home. Yeah. That's what you were created to do. By the way, that's what this church was created to do. But it all hangs on the gospel, the good news of Jesus that we've been talking about today. So you too, as we're singing and closing the service, if you feel like, man, I need to get off the porch, then I want you to just say, hey, Father, I want to repent and come home. I want to repent and come home to your grace. I want to stop trying to earn it, and I just want to enjoy it. I want to start, stop pushing some people away and, and just start pulling them in. God, do a supernatural work of the gospel in my heart. Tell him that today. And that's what's ironic. Well, like I said from the very beginning, the solution for all of us, whether you feel you like I'm more the younger son or I'm more the older son, the solution is the same. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the truth about God so vividly portrayed in the story of the prodigal son. So let's come home. No matter where you are, if you're outside a house, come home. Come home. Now's our time. Don't miss it. Let's come home to our prodigal heavenly father. Let me pray for you and we'll continue. Heavenly Father, Jesus, actually, thank you so much for including this character, by far the most important character. And it's, gosh, the news is so good. I mean, it's, it's called the gospel for a reason. What amazing news that no matter where we are right now, if we are on the way home, you're already running towards us and you're already paying our way. You already have paid our way. That's amazing. That's amazing. I pray that we would let this good news sink into our hearts today. And that if we're far from home in any way, it would cause us to quicken our gait, that we'd run a little faster back to you, knowing that you have handled everything. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. Give us courage to act on it right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Oh uh-huh. 